This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Folks, welcome to Home and Away on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed and on YouTube, wherever you're joining us. I'm your host on this week's episode. I'm Maxwell Baumbach. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Baumboards. And I am joined by Hunter Cruz. Uh, Hunter is somebody whose work I thoroughly enjoy. And I've kind of gotten, I feel like we might, we're going to talk about it, but I feel like we might have kind of started to get into things around the same time. So I've kind of really gotten to see like you come up in this scene. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of his. Really excited to have you, Hunter. Welcome to the program. I appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, so Hunter, when what got you into scouting initially, and um, when did that sort of transpire? Like, when was it like I like basketball, but now I'm sort of fully ingrained into this scouting and player development type of type of basketball fandom? So at first, I I just started writing. It was for um, Alabama basketball at Crimson Crossover. Mm-hmm. There, I did I did some like scouting stuff for like high school prospects there, and I was just like just trying to get more into just how players develop and stuff. And then that kind of progressed to where uh, I was more active on Twitter and then naturally you engage in stuff. And that's when I kind of came across draft Twitter. Um, Like Jake Rosen, I saw all the pieces like step in those type of people. I saw their mm-hmm. stuff. Um, And then that kind of just progressed to me doing more basketball stuff. I, and like, I was like later that year I joined, uh, Bama Insider. It's at you know rivals.com. I was like, for like five or six months, I was just like writing, analyzing weekly, um, weekly columns on just how, just covering covering the game, and uh, that's kind of when I got more into X and O's and stuff, and just kind of progressed like with my scouting as well. Just yeah. So up front, because I one thing that drives me nuts, they listen to podcasts, and at the very end, they're like, "Plug your stuff." Let's plug your stuff up front. So where can people find your work, uh, whether it's written, podcasts, all of it? So right now I'm doing a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. for uh, Locked Women's Basketball, um, Locked On Podcast Network. Pretty much any team, and like any team, they have it over there. But I'm at Hunter, at Hunter Cruz 14 on Twitter. A lot of my stuff's over there right now. Not doing much writing, but we have this fun like preseason guide thing coming out for the WNBA. Uh, kind of like y'all did for the NBA, but it's like mm-hmm. obviously at a smaller scale and uh, just kind of having notes and like on t- our first rounders as a whole. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yes, yeah, so you mentioned you kind of started with like the high school scene and things like that. I, I kind of got like specifically into the draft Twitter sphere actively. Like I was always like an observer of it, but never really like made an account, like just to talk about, basketball and things like that until like june of 2021 when did you really start to dive in the pool as far as talking about drafts so when i really dove in i would probably say it was around the fiba world cup okay so I, i'm i'm very new into it just like yeah 
I've so always my... engaged. I've, I've always, <laughs> I've, I've always engaged, engaged in the draft. I just didn't like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sit down, and make a board. That's that kind of. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, around that time, I was like, it was so late in the 2020 class. I was like, mm-hmm. do I just jump in right now and like try to play catch up, or do I go right into like 2021? So like one day, I just sat down, had like 200 names on a Google a Google sheet document, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, kind of progressed to watching like Victor and Chet and all them uh, and that uh, U-19 and then mm-hmm. just got more and more into it. And that led up to this past class. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Cause for me, it was, it was sort of similar. It was like 2020 COVID happens. There's no sports. So it's like, well, I got to watch something. And then like, I just got into just watching, watching games for guys in the 2020 class and, and what have you. So um, do you have any like, early memories of draft fandom or like being into the draft because it's always like so silly but like my like first draft memory was i remember like getting to stay up late and watch tv during the summer when i was in like third grade and becoming enamored with this prospect that they were talking about on this draft special and he ended up being chris mim who was not very good (laughs) but but like at the time i was like oh this is so interesting like these kids come out and then they they get drafted and like assigned to a team like was there like an early guy that you remember latching onto or like early memories of the draft? Like how did that sort of fascination begin? Oh, sorry. I think you're muted, bud. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. I think That's that was, bad. yeah. So I'm not sure uh, who that guy you mentioned was, but <laughs> he was on the Lakers for a bit. He stunk. Yeah. My, my earlier. Mm. I remember Dennis Schroeder getting drafted by the Hawks. That was one. Of okay. Really um, and when he got drafted, I was like, who is this guy? Like, mm-hmm. but like I, the first one I can like vividly remember was when John Collins got drafted. I remember mm-hmm. I was, I, I went to Twitter. I was like, I had like some private account and I was like, I was like, good draft pick. And like the Hawks like, liked it. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was like big time at that point. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that that pick I really remember, mm-hmm. and then yeah, so just around then that time, mm-hmm. I didn't really have any takes though. I don't think. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think my thing was like I had way too many takes, and now like oh. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> like looking back on like when I was younger, and because I'm uh, I'm I'm older than you are, and now like looking back at like some of the takes I had, it's like I was not watching enough film to declaratively be like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna be a bust. Like just no no reason for it, just vibes, just vibes, deciding who who I do and don't like. I like Trayvon Duvall though. I liked him. Oh, I remember when he came out like just being stunned that nobody took him because like yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he couldn't see out of one eye or something. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Because I remember yeah. like when he came out, I was like. Yeah, like he didn't have a good year at Duke, but like he's got a ton of potential. He was so good, like coming out of high school. Cause like my pre college exposure to him was like just mixtapes, basically. But I was like, oh yeah, no, like he's still really athletic and somebody's going to take him. And I like that was one of the first guys I remember going undrafted and just being stunned that like, whoa, what happened here? Um, this is way before your time. Are you familiar with Lenny Cook at all? No, okay yeah 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 so i i had never actually like seen him play so this was in i want to say 
I want to say it was the 2002 draft. It was like the year before LeBron. Uh, he was like this really t- highly touted high school player. And then like he was like projected to be a first round pick. And like it was kind of like a Trevon Duvall situation where like he went undrafted kind of surprisingly. And then he, I don't think he ever played in the NBA. And there's a documentary about him uh, just called Cook, like C-O-O-K-E, I think is the name of it. It's fascinating. Like it is one of the best basketball documentaries I've ever seen. And it's just about like how his life unfolded after that going pro not being in the era where you can test the waters and go back pre NIL. So like you burn your college eligibility coming out of high school and then nothing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Went way off, way <laughs> off the rails there. Um, so yeah. So uh, how did you start kind of dabbling in like media and content as far as the draft goes? Like, did you start writing? Was it podcasts? Like how did you kind of start branching out? So I first like started, I started writing a little bit. Um, then after that, I didn't really do a lot for a little bit. It was just about just like uh, being on Twitter and just watching guys. Mm-hmm. And then I think at that point, I, huh. yeah, I think I created my website around then as well, where I just wrote as well, but I, I haven't really done a ton of writing on the draft. I don't think as much as I probably should have just a lot of Twitter stuff, uh, Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And were there like, what were some of the early lessons that you learned? Like, as you started to get into it, because the big thing for me was, I feel like when I first started to get into it, I really overvalued like older prospects. I think I really like the first, first two drafts I did. I think the biggest lesson I've learned is just don't bet against like size playmaking and feel like, were there certain things that you, really liked and now you're kind of like oh i don't know about this or like what have been like your big takeaways as you started to get more and more into scouting so at that point i probably would say i was like enamored with like the mixtape guards i would say okay yeah like just the guards that like you consider more on a college level like using an alabama example like javon quinterly like someone like that yeah i was more on like that kind of stuff just because like I feel like if you're just watching like highlights, those are the type of guys that would just pop immediately. Mm-hmm. So along with that, I would I would say I valued um probably a lot of I really liked like just a lot a lot of shooters. I think I valued too many sharpshooters as well when like they can't play defense. I just kind of like stuck to what they could do, and I was like, oh, this this is a star, it's a star. Like I had like Patrick Baldwin like two or something to begin the class. Okay, I was like, yeah. Got it. That I, yeah. I completely agree with like the mix it guards thing. Cause I think it's really easy to like, and I feel like this is something that I always change like late in the process is I feel like I lean so much more into guys that do stuff on the ball during the season. And then, cause like w- during the season, it's just like, all right, this guy, this game has five prospects in it. So I'm just going to kind of watch the ball and like you watch the game and like whoever just has the ball is like the guy that stands out. And then when you go back and watch the game, later or you see a different game with that team it's the guys that are doing stuff constantly when you're just watching that one guy you get such a better feel for them so like i totally relate to that like i feel like that's something that i always like i always make adjustments on my board after the draft there are guys that like just don't don't pop like if you're just watching the ball during a game and then you watch them specifically and you just see how much value they add Mm -hmm. um the other thing i have that like i'm kind of like 
proud of myself for in some ways, or like the, what I call like when the dust settles prospects where it's guys like Vince Williams in last year's draft. I think ESPN had him in like the nineties on their board for a long time, but it was just like, I I'm staying the course. Like I like this guy. I'm going to keep him in the mix because once everything slows down and people start to dig into that mid major tape, like guys like him and Ryan Rollins are going to move up. Um, You mentioned Javon Quinterly. And he was the guy I was kind of really enamored with heading into this season uh, or last season, rather Um, really just didn't have his shot fall this past season. Um, Being somebody that, that has covered, uh, you know, the SEC in particular, but, but Alabama as well. Like how did, what do you think went wrong for Quinterly this season? And then like, do you think he's still like a real prospect at this stage? Like what would, what would need to go right for him this time around? He probably needs to bring the shooting back up because, like, as a sophomore, his shooting was like, it was like, I think it was like forty percent. But he also had like it was Herb's really good. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it was like Herb. He, had, he was playing off the ball a little bit more. So I would just say like there wasn't a lot of spacing. I would say so like Javon's the type of player where like he's gonna create a ton of rim pressure. So if he doesn't have the shooters, they kind of like they're gonna kind of fold into him. So then he's like, okay, I'm just gonna shoot because like if he drives, he's gonna get that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I think he was just kind of like, I don't know. It was like, there was too many inconsistencies with the rotations like as well. Cause like him and JD would like flip flop who's starting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, cause Javon was like mostly like his role was like super like specific. Like he was a six man. And that was like clear from like the start of the season mm-hmm. the year before. Yeah. And he finished that year so strong. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's something that gets forgotten is people are like, Oh yeah, like this down year or whatever. It's like, he was electric to close the season before this last one. It's like, that's why expectations were, were so high. Like he closed on such a high note. And then this last season just kind of, kind of went how it did. But do you think like, do you think that he's like a real prospect? Like what range would you have him in headed into the year? Cause like, I don't think he's like in my top 100 or anything at this point. Uh, yeah. I think he, I think he's too old probably. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the age and I think it's just like the NBA role where like if you're that size and you're not going to be like a really determined locked in defender too, it's like even like the other stuff just doesn't really matter. Like if it, like you're not good enough at that stuff to really wow me, but like all the other things, it's just like these kind of guys just it's really hard. It's really hard to stick if you're an undersized guard now and if especially if like the defense isn't there too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So a big part of the reason I wanted to, to have you on and talk to you is because you've really started to cover the WNBA draft quite a bit, which I think is awesome. Um, so to, to kind of dive into like, I guess my like personal WNBA background, I'm not like a huge, like follower of the WNBA. Um, but I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, I've gotten more into it the last couple of years because I'm in the Chicagoland area and the Chicago sky have been very good. Uh, but growing up, like I had two older sisters that, and we all played basketball. So when the WNBA launched, it was like the biggest deal in our house. Like we had WNBA posters up all over the place. Like, uh, my sister was like really into Rebecca Lobo. I had a huge crush on Michelle Griffiths who played for the Phoenix Mercury. Like we all like kind of like chose a team and like got really into the WNBA. Uh, and then when they expanded to Indiana, like we all went to an Indiana fever game as a family. Like we made the road trip from Chicago, stayed there for a weekend so we could see a WNBA game. Like it was a huge deal for us. Like when the WNBA 
really started to blossom. And then like, as I got older, I just kind of got out of it. Um, and then a couple years ago, uh, I was at the gym on a treadmill running and like, I'm just like flipping around. Cause I, I need to have something like in front of me. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not a guy who can run outside. Like I need to do it on a treadmill with entertainment in front of me or else I will <laughs> not run. So, uh, I threw on a WNBA game and it was just like, Whoa, like quality of play. It was never like as bad as like misogynists will make it out to be. Um, but like, it was just like, Oh man, like the quality of play has really, really leveled up. Uh, and I think you've touched on it, but like there's a real dire need for expansion in some ways with the amount of talent in the league and the level of college player that will will be out of the league rather quickly. Um, but what kind of got you into following covering the WNBA? So I would say like before the pandemic, I wasn't like too into it. And I don't know, I was more of a casual follower of basketball. Mm-hmm. And around that point, I was like, I was huge into, I've been huge into podcasts since, but like around that point I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and that's when I came across, it was from WNBA nation. It was actually on Candace Parker. It was like, mm-hmm. it was, there's, there was one on Candace Parker and there's one on the Houston comments that won like four titles to begin the year. Yeah. 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 Yes. Like they were the they're, dynasty they're, when I was a kid. Yeah. They're, they're both like, they're both two part episodes, like went in depth. And cause like at that point, like I, I would say me not following the WNBA wasn't more me saying it was bad quality. It was more, there was not a lot of coverage. I don't think. It's, no, it's got, and like the visibility still just is not all the way there. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. It's way better than it was. But. Yeah, more national tele- televised games. Mm-hmm. But around that point, I was watching, and there was another one. It was like, it was like a ESPN thirty for thirty auto documentary. It was on like, I think it was on Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi playing overseas in uh, Russia and that experience. There was like some whole scandal over there, and I was like, wow. Like I was, I was like intrigued at that point. Mm-hmm. Didn't really didn't really do a lot with it i watched a little bit of the playoffs then i got uh that was like that was leading into the 2021 season uh followed a little bit more more and then once we got to like around this time last year that's when I'm, i took it more seriously and i was just like i was like i like i like watching the nba, NBA draft i like i like covering these prospects but i'm like it's sort of oversaturated in a way where there's just so many people throwing out takes all over the internet. Yeah. 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 And then I was like, why isn't nobody doing this for the WNBA? Like mm-hmm. kind of set yourself apart. Yeah. Um, so I was like, kind of dabbled into it. started watching some film and I was intrigued at that point. So that was, mm-hmm. I- I-, I would say I had a lot of success in this first year, just, like even even with my board, like I don't know, I don't know if I can live up to what I did. I, I was too successful. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. starting with a hot hand. Yeah. So, I like I said, like I watch I watch the WNBA when it's on. Like it's not something that I have like a real in depth knowledge of. Um, and it's something I watch more casually. Like I'm more just like I'm watching this game and I'm cheering for the Chicago Sky because they are the local team and I would like them to win. <laughs> like it's not, uh, it's not something that I like really have a thorough understanding of. So what would you say in terms of style of play are the key differences between the WNBA and the NBA? So I would say the NBA is more wing based when the WNBA mm-hmm. is more like forward post player based. Mm-hmm. Um. We'll see more. You, you don't. I think like the WNBA is probably like five, ten years behind the NBA, just like in terms of like scheme. Because like yeah, there's that like yeah. 
there's a there's a buffer period because like we're seeing more like former coaches former coaches like Becky Hammond coming in. So like mm-hmm. some of the coaching concepts are transferring over. But I would I wouldn't say uh they're like identical right now. I'd just like there's still some teams that will run too many like uh like unschemability players like that wouldn't would other wouldn't otherwise be an NBA rotation. Okay. Um would you say though, like even though it is like more post oriented, I feel like a lot of people um get like a very like 90s idea in their head as far as like what that looks like but would you say their like bigs are more skilled than that because like i feel like when i watch and again like this is going to be clouded because i just watch the sky a lot um but like with like candace parker and then like on the championship team like stephanie dolson was another player where like it felt like you could really trust them with the ball and they could do a lot as passers where i felt like my idea of like big man center basketball like when i hear that i picture more like men's big 10 like just dump it in there back them down and throw up a hook shot like would you say that it's more uh like movement oriented around the post and things like that or is it more just like yeah they just dump it in yeah it's a lot of ball movement like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say it's as helio there's not as many heliocentric offenses like there's probably very with the number of talent and just how many how many teams there is in the league there's like there's i guess there's more like they have, they have a lot. They have the advantage of just playing a lot of a lot of players. And what I've noticed with the WNBA, like they will just tend to like. I would say they wouldn't value young players as much as NBA teams do. Yeah, they, they stay more reliant to like, oh, this player's a good fit for our team. We'll just keep them around instead of like looking more towards the future because it's a lot more short, short term. Like, because I guess I guess most of them are like looking for their basketball opportunities beyond the WNBA. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more change now, I would say. So, yeah, because I think that's like a really interesting dynamic is the fact that like this is a league where women's basketball is like really growing in popularity and it's still a league that has 12 teams in it. So like roster spots are limited. So to your point, it's really easy for a team to be like, well, we have this girl who's like 24, 23, and she's really developing. But we have this vet who's ready now. And like, we've just got to win now. Like there's too many other teams that are playing other vets. So like, we can't be the team that uh, goes in on that strategy. So I want to transition that into talking about the draft in the WNBA. Um, with there only being 12 teams, is it harder to play like a long-term tanking rebuild strategy when the best team in the league is picking 12th, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's, it's one thing to be like, Oh, we'll just, we'll be really bad and we'll get good draft picks and we'll rebuild when like the best teams in the NBA have to pick at the end of the draft. But if the best team is picking 12th, that seems a lot harder. So like, is there a level of tanking and, and like, has there been a team that's like really shot for a long-term rebuild? And if so, is it doable? So they have a little bit of a different like draft lottery process where like okay, the draft order is based on the past two seasons, not just one. Oh, okay. So it's a it's a different process because like I feel like what I what I did like this study where like I think it's like almost every number one pick over the last like fifteen years has ended up like yielding star level value. Okay. So like the, the the difference between like you said number one and n- number twelve is like it, it's it's like gigantic that difference. Okay. Is, yeah, it's like unreal. You wouldn't 
you wouldn't expect that as much because like I will see like like with the sky like Emma Miesemann, I think she was like a second round pick. Mm-hmm. There's players like that that will come in, but like if you have the number one pick, it's so hard to miss. So like mm-hmm. teams are looking for that player, and I think you usually don't see it getting traded as much as it like you you'd see in the NBA. How does that happen? Eh. I don't know. It's like it's it's more number one is like standalone best player in the draft. I would say so. Teams are trying to get that player, but mm-hmm. tanking. I don't think tanking would be like. It's, it seems less viable if if you're going off like a two year. Yeah, it's record. kind of teams are just like naturally bad. I think. <laughs> I think teams would just naturally be bad because like overturning star talent just mm-hmm. it'll happen. Um. So, like you said, like, like the number one pick generally is like pretty easy to hit on. Um, what would you say is like the standard depth in a WNBA draft? Like where do your tiers tend to break? Cause I feel like with the NBA and like some drafts, it's like this guy's, this one's like eight players deep and this one's, you know, three players deep or whatever. Like, do you, where did you find your cutoff point last year? As far as like, after this point, it starts to get a little dicey. And then after this point, like you're just kind of scraping, like where, where, where did your tiers kind of fall as far as number of players in this past draft? So I would say there wasn't any like gener- generational talents in this past draft, mm-hmm. but there was like there was a clear top three: Aaliyah Boss, no, not Aaliyah Boss, that was this year. Ryan Howard, Melissa Smith, and then Shakira Austin at the top. Mm-hmm. And then we saw it like break out into like a bunch of interesting archetypes. There was one player that was just like do it all forward. Another player that was more like small guard talent. Mm-hmm. There was like there was like some like raw athletic player from like Spain. But like generally in the WNBA, there's like twelve players that end up like making an impact. Okay, it's, it's around that number. It's like it's like nine and like twelve is like the main. Mm-hmm. Isn't it with the NBA? Generally, it's like twenty twenty five players. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'd say in most drafts, it's right around there. Like when I make my board, like the big thing I try to ask myself is like, you're betting on twenty guys, like the 20 that you put top 20 are the guys like that you really buy into. And then like the next five or like, who, what are the flyers you would take is like kind mm-hmm. of how I build my board. And then from there, it's just like, well, then how do you rank everybody else? Like that's, that's my personal philosophy, but yeah, generally in most drafts, it's around 20 to 25. Mm-hmm. So like what I saw with this year, like with my board, I, every player I had, like, cause I did top 12, which is like who I consider to be like, okay, all of them ended up making a roster, which is like kind of rare because like this past year there was there was two players this past year that were first rounders that didn't make rosters mm-hmm. at a training camp. So every player did besides one, and that player stayed overseas. She probably would have made the roster if she did if she didn't stay, but she uh, came. She didn't come over, and she'll probably be over next year. So that's kind of like mm-hmm. an incomplete. The other the other eleven players didn't make in the roster, and yeah, yeah so. I because I think that's something like people don't really anticipate. Um, because I have have a good amount of friends that live in Australia, and this guy drafted an Australian or acquired an Australian player that was drafted. Jade, yeah, Jade Melbourne. Yeah, and then she was just like gone. Like she was on the. It felt like she was on the team for like a week and a half, and then that was it. So it is a lot more cutthroat. Do you attribute that just to like the lack of teams in the league, and like there just aren't that many roster spots? So like if someone's not sticking, you've just got to keep moving and try to find the next next best player, like. Or is it like is it that kind of short sightedness like you talked about, or, or is yeah. there like a bigger reason for that? 
because there was I think there was there ended up being there was a player that like she was like older and she was like twenty three, uh, coming mm-hmm. on twenty four, out of UConn. She she was she was drafted. I think you might be talking about her. she was drafted by Seattle, and then she ended up playing for like four teams in the span of like four months. Mm-hmm. She was a second round pick, so just like yeah, that short sighted mindset exists because there's not a G League or anything. So yeah, and like there's not even a summer league, which mm-hmm. like that's that was the other thing I was going to ask about. It's like what is because like are, do the international seasons line up with the WNBA at all? Like in terms of like when they play, or are they more like? I've always been under the impression that they play like around the time that the men here play like more fall winter. Yeah. So let's say I'm like, like I'm a WNBA prospect. I go and draft it or I don't make a team. Like how easy is it to get back at that point? Like, is it just like, you've just got to grind overseas. Is there a process? Do they have like showcase events or is it just like, you just got to grind. I, I would say that most of those players will end up like, staying in the States and then going overseas like in the fall mm-hmm. because like the fall, it, I think it starts around like October and it goes to like May. So it, there's a little bit of an overlap area between training camp and they're trying to cut down that, which makes no sense at all. Like trying to like add prioritization for some reason, whenever those leagues are paying more. So it's like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, I don't know. They can't really expect them to prioritize the making them, making them less money. So, mm-hmm. Like we'll see some players, but like more of the younger players, though. Like it's crazy because like Ryan Howard, she was a number one pick. She played the she played this past season at Kentucky. She was drafted two weeks later is at training camp. Plays through the season, then she goes and then she goes to Team USA camp and plays with the main team. She didn't end up making the final roster, so she guess she got a like two week break. And then now she's overseas in like Italy or something, and then that'll lead right to this training camp again. So it's crazy. So it just, to me, like, as I look at the WNBA, it just doesn't seem smart just from like an investment standpoint to like have your players spinning their tires year round like that. Like it just, to to me, like it just feels like from a straight up business perspective, you'd be like, Hey, this player was number one pick. Like let's make sure they don't have to play really hard (laughs) competitive basketball like year round with no breaks. Um, do you think like what do you think is next on the horizon for the WNB on that front? Like, do you see like with the the television ratings obviously being like really good the last couple mm-hmm. of years? Uh, there is like visible substantial growth uh, by just about every business metric. Um, do you see a point where like the salaries are going to get there that like this type of thing won't be necessary? The players won't have to put themselves through this. Um, is expansion a viable option to get m- more people to? buy into the league and then that's a way that you can get more money like how do you think the league is going to deal with this going forward so i think the midterm point in the cba runs until 2025 so that's around the point where we're going to see like there's so many issues to fix to the point where like not all of them are going to be able to get fixed but i guess the hope is to have expansion teams by then just because like if you have more teams i guess that can like lead you having a larger deal just having Mm -hmm. More, more TV networks, yeah. More, yeah, more TV networks in different cities uh, across the country. So that's probably the next thing, and it's also getting like private flying. That's so crazy to me. <sighs> that's not. I don't, like, I don't that's understand one of those that. that. So like, yeah, yeah. So explain the- that to our listeners because that was something I did not know about until like a couple years ago, and when I learned it, I was floored. Yeah, so they fly commercial, and the weird thing about it is like, 
with flying commercial, like it's not like your general like oh if you're like five foot nine. These some of these some of these girls are like six four six five, mm-hmm. um, and play a taxing forty minute basketball game. And then you're right on the plane, and like we saw a couple times like you probably know Aneka Gumake. You probably know yep. her, mm-hmm. yeah. So her and she, she's like the president. I think she's like the president of the uh, like, like Chris Paul is the president of the player association. Mm-hmm. Last season they had a moment where they were on the road and they were flying back home to LA and they got stuck at the airport and they had to sleep at the airport overnight. And, and the team they were playing was in LA already. So they were, they were the home team. They technically got to the arena later. They had to sleep in the hotel overnight. Cause not all of them could get a hotel room. Man. And that's the player. That's the president of the players association. Like an yeah. MVP. It's great. I, I don't so it's, like, it's so wild. Um, Cause yeah, like just from personal experience, like I'm, I'm six, five and like anytime I fly commercial, which is the only way I fly. Cause I oh, no ceilings. The, the money from no ceilings has not yet allowed me to acquire a private jet. I'm hoping by next, <laughs> next draft cycle, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I've only, only flown commercial in my life. And every time I get off a flight, like I am not a guy who's can afford first class. Like every time I get off a plane, the next like two, three days, my back is sore. Like I'm, and like I'm, I'm in really good shape like but i i get off a flight and like just from my knees being cramped into the seat in front of me the posture that i have to assume to like be comfortable i can't imagine if i was playing professional basketball like the idea of like all right go run around for an hour and a half bang bodies with other people do the rest of your like normal exercise routine that you have to do because you're a professional athlete and that's the expectation that is kept for you and now get on a plane and now get off it and now go do that again and have another game. Like that is so draining. And the fact that like, those are the circumstances that they have to do it under is again, just one of those things where if you're just looking at this from an investment standpoint, taking all of the humanization out of this, just purely looking at it in the most cynical, like, money driven sense possible it's it's bad like it's it's a bad bad way to protect your product that you're that you're putting on the court and it's it's gonna make these players lives miserable down the road but it's gonna risk injury short term like there's just all these problems with it and and i'm pretty sure in the past you haven't they had situations where games have been delayed or canceled just because like flights were yeah 100 percent. and like like just like you said they, like just a human just like they're humans and like just like yeah. just treating them like professional athletes Beyond that, it's like the player development opportunities because like the league doesn't have their players in house, so like they don't have mm-hmm. that same opportunity to like like summer league where they can like have specific. Tra- they have their their team trainers, but instead they're playing on a different team, mm-hmm. just like different team uh, over the entire season over, over the entire off season. There's this there's this like league called Athletes Unlimited. It's like yes, yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard of it. Yeah. So th- that's like similar, and like I, th- I hope they can like expand that to more, where they can use that as like more of a player development opportunity. But like as of right now, it's more like like February February ish area. It's like it's like a rem- it's like a specific city, like similar to like OTE, where they're, they're at a specific location. Yeah, like they're just out of yeah. Atlanta with OTE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, but they like it's weird because it's like it's individual points. For, it's 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 a weird like. Standing it's like system. fantasy basketball yeah. but real right where it's like yeah there's like points every week and then if you get the most points i think you're like the captain of your team the following week or something like that yeah so we're seeing like they're like trying to be innovative but it's like it sucks because like this isn't the WNBA trying to make change it's like outside sources trying to like help provide other opportunities which is horrible just 
Like it just makes them look unserious because they're not like it does. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's the main thing I think everybody is just like hoping for is just like like that's why they can't expand to Toronto yet because there's not they mm-hmm. can't they can't fly co- like commercial into Toronto like they have to go private. That's like that's they, they that's too much. Like yeah, and like you just look at it like how how Canada like rallied around the Raptors during their title run. It's like don't you think that'd be great for the WNBA oh, they have so many to have the same fans. thing? They have so many fans there. Yeah. With yeah. Team Canada. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like they're leaving money on the table just like for for a short term focus that it doesn't even really make sense on a short term basis. I uh, yeah. do want to apologize. You're going to hear my daughter making her, her appearance in the background. Uh, hopefully, a future huge fan of the NBA and WNBA. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so the next thing I wanted to ask you is with. Um, scouting what would you say are the biggest differences when you're evaluating players for the nba and wnba like is there something specifically different that you're looking for or anything like that i wouldn't say they're like they're not that different um you kind of have to place yourself on a different mindset or like like for the like i'm more like if there's a five foot five guard like there's a better chance that could actually work out instead of in the nba where it's like how how I look at it is like if you're if you're five foot five, a good basis of comparison is like adding five inches. So like okay, a five, a five ten five five guard in the um, WNBA is like equivalent to like five ten. Yeah, so that kind of thing. For we're like, us, we're generally just like oh five ten, no thanks. Yeah, that that can work. Like there's like, there's someone in this class that's five five, like drill pass shoot type. It, it can work. There's some, there's some players like that have been like key contributors on a championship team, like. Difference is like a lot of the stuff is similar. I would say I would just like, um, I, I don't think there's as many like rookies that will come in and like be granted like a lot of opportunities as scores. You have to consider, who, yeah, who, okay. So you have to consider who can play off ball because like, like there, there's a bunch of players that are like six six four like post players in college, and they're like, like their offense is completely built around their team and like. The post, like the post up's kind of like getting like filtered out. I would feel like it's starting to slowly where it's like it's only good offense for like the best of the best, like that type of things. Like mm-hmm. it's not even good offense anymore. And like if they do play, it's like five, 10 minute spurts or. Um, like I could look at Garza, like those types. Like we, yeah. Some comparisons there. Like so I wouldn't say it's like a totally different thing. You just have to look at it in a different perspective. Where, like, in the eyes of teams, they're not going to be as willing to take a lot of bets on players. And it's going to risk. That makes sense too. Yeah, especially because, like, like you were talking how there's not a ton of player development opportunity. It wouldn't really make sense to use your pick, especially if it's like a higher one on somebody that's like really raw or toolsy. Like, you wouldn't see like a Poku or an Usman Jeng type. There actually, there actually, there actually eye. was one taken number two overall. Oh, really? Her okay. name's Awak Queer. Yeah. So she she was drafted by Dallas in like twenty twenty one, um, super raw like, kind of in the mode of Pokey. Like she was like nineteen from like, she was she was from overseas and like mm-hmm. two years in and she's like provided like no impact at all. Like hasn't okay. got a lot of minutes either. So it's like, um, she's actually got like a chance to stay. But like, if it's like after like, like generally if you're a first round pick, you're probably gonna get at least one year on a team. Mm-hmm. Like if you're raw like. Like we consider like after like twenty, like that's like the cutoff point. There's still like 
there's still teams there's just talent yeah there's, yeah there's still teams like in the nba there's still teams rostering like upside swing type prospects like second round like we saw jt mm-hmm. thor yeah those type players like jt thor would, wouldn't stick even a year in the league in the WNBA. like they would mm-hmm. they'd go to training camp and they'd probably like get cut early on or like if they do make the roster they probably play a couple games and they get cut it and then they go overseas and they try to like get back in like we saw Rebecca Gardner like with the sky. She was like 32 and she just came over for the first time ever. Like, yeah, it's yeah. hard to like, it's hard to get in and, mm-hmm. and stick ultimately. Do you think that's like a problem for the league, or do you think it's just like that's just how it is? Like, you've just got to be really good, or else, you, or else it's just not the time. Like, maybe you just come later. Like, do you think it would be better for the league if they found a way to like invest more in player development locally? And th- yeah, versus like com- exporting yeah. that overseas and making players develop elsewhere. Yeah, they need to, they need to adopt like some like developmental like opportunities because there's only 12 roster spots. It's mm-hmm. not the NBA where there's 15, so like you're already short three spots. So I would just say like if they add two teams, two- per team, then you have like how many more players is that? It's like that's like 30, 40 more players, and then like yeah. if you you kind of partner with like the athletes unlimited thing I was saying where you have like more opportunities for players like that aren't like in the league at the moment, like players that were like maybe high draft picks that like haven't had a chance to showcase themselves. Like that type of thing. I just don't think there's like, like, like you said, players can just get filtered out so easily and you're just like, where do they go? Like, mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's one of those things too, where you wonder like, is like, again, like it's just a question of like, like, purely from an investment standpoint like is that the best thing like would it be better for our league long term if we were able to keep more players under our auspices like within our buildings and like with high level player development and like not having to force them to like go overseas deal with culture shock deal with like getting used to playing in another country like being somewhere where you don't speak the language like it's it's a lot to to throw on players to be like do that and then like come back to us like would it really be better to just have that would, yeah that would be that would probably be better, but like we're probably like ten years out from that. I would say, like, generally from like, because like right now there's like there's some players that don't go overseas, like like Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, mm-hmm. Candace Parker doesn't go overseas anymore. Like th- there's good players like, like Skyward Diggins Smith, like Aguma Kays, They don't go overseas, so, but those most of those players I just mentioned like they have like big big deals like. Yeah, they're yeah, not. They don't they're have, very famous players. Yeah, just just for the average player though, they're probably going overseas and making money and just like like we'll see some of them like go overseas and like average like twenty five points in like the Euro League. It's kind of crazy. Just like op- opportunities overseas can give them mm-hmm. like yeah. So it's like that's that's really their chance to like be a star overseas. Mm-hmm. So um, when is the the next WNBA draft is like coming up really soon, right? No, it's not until like April. Why did I think it was in November? I feel like somebody said, I, I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was in November. That's my bad. <laughs> um, so it's in April. Yeah, so it's like, lottery. okay, that's what it is. So um, who are some of the players that you're monitoring, like going to this college season that obviously at the draft, not for a while, but like who are some of the players that you're excited about and keeping an eye on headed into this WNBA draft cycle? So Aaliyah Boston, that's probably the biggest name. More traditional posts, like and who does she play for currently? South Carolina. She's at South okay. Carolina. Um kind of does a little bit of everything. Like 
kind of like the DeAndre Ayton type, I would say. Like, okay, yeah. So she's kind of like in that type of player, just like strong, physical, super, super ready to play. And there's also like Haley Jones. Uh, I wrote an article on her. She, she's kind of like Scotty Barnes. Like, okay, yeah. So she like she's like the the tough thing about her and scouting her is she plays at Stanford and they have like some Princeton a Princeton offense, which is like it's there's not a lot of freedom in that. So like a lot mm. of her like a lot of her like creation flashes flashes like improv, improv, improvising will come in like the open court where she makes so many like smart decisions like. She's like six two, like strong lower body. Um, so, and then after that, there's like, there's some other like talented forwards, like Diamond Miller. She's like, uh, who would I compare her to? Let's see. I'll come back to her. There's like, there's like JC, yeah. JC Sheldon. She's like a like a rim pressure guard. She just like mm-hmm. gets to the rim with ease. Like uh, at Ohio State, like there's there's other guards like that that are just like dribble pass shoot where they're providing a lot of value in terms of their rim pressure and also their shooting ability. But like back with like, there's, there's a lot of forwards. Like, like I said, like there's not a lot of opportunities for these like raw players. There's a lot mm-hmm. of those in this class. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a learning moment for me. I want to, I, I, I I'm, there's one, like I'm into two and like, um, over. Yeah. I mean, here she plays at South Carolina as well. She's like six, four mm-hmm. ball handler. And I'm like way too high on her, so like, <laughs> that's good. That's good to have like your yeah. your players that you're yeah. really into. So like, I have her like around like number eight or something like that, and like, mm-hmm. she's like super raw. Like, she averaged like six points in college last year. Like, it's like the, the idea of her game is amazing, and I'm just trying to see like, I want I want to learn from her and like just see like, is it is it viable to like kind of project these players like beyond like the top five? These raw players can they actually like um, like advance their game and be in the lead just because like you think like oh six four she can handle the ball uh she mm-hmm. can defend on the perimeter like if you think you're like oh yeah that's a that's a professional player that player can probably play at the highest level so like another player is Jordan Horston she's at Tennessee it does a lot of similar things but she's a lot more productive okay so she, she she'll probably make a roster like I would expect mm-hmm. her to make a roster so it's like if you're trying to find those 12 players, you have to see for one, who's going to be a fit with like the teams. Like is there a team that already has a play at their position? Cause that could cause them not to make the opening roster. Then there's also yeah. like they're raw and they, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're not ready enough, like teams like, eh, I don't want to roster someone that can't play for us. Then we're down to 11 players. Then if someone's hurt, you're at 10. So it's like, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of freedom to like throw someone at your 15th yeah. person on the bench. So, would you say that there is anything that is like a guaranteed thing that like, you know, scales well, like generally like with basketball, like steals, like rebounds, like that kind of stuff, like scales really well. Is there anything like in terms of like the women's college game to the WNBA that you're like, well, if this person's really productive in college, they will be really productive in the WNBA. Like where, where's been like the disconnect? Like who are the types of players that might be really good in college, but don't pan out in the WNBA? So like I said earlier, it's like it's like the players that are like like post creators. We just like players that don't have a lot of skin ability. I would say those players, mm-hmm. 
don't have as easy of an opportunity to make the make teams and stick in the league. Beyond that, though, like there's some guard some guard talent that just like they're just inefficient. I would just say okay, yeah. There's like like there there can kind of be some things where like they're like big time scorers in college, and then like that's like their, their main skill is just scoring and like like the combo guard type skill set. Like they can kind of get filtered out as well. Mm-hmm. Like so those t- those are two skill sets where like. You think about those those two skill sets are like they also get filtered out in the NBA. We're seeing like combo guards, like some of those players won't stick as long as other positions. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned scoring too, because like I I had a conversation with a college assistant a while ago who coaches in like a bigger division one men's conference. And like he was talking about transfer ups and his his team has used the portal quite a bit. And what he told me was he was like, you know, like this translates up and this doesn't. And he's like, with scoring, it's like a roll of the dice. Like he's like, we just don't know. And it's true. Like I think for a lot of times, like if scoring is your thing and you're not like a really great advantage creator or you're not really savvy about how you can leverage your playmaking or you're not a good enough athlete or polished enough with your footwork to like know that you can get those shots it can get really tricky like if your thing is just i score the basketball mm. so yeah that that yeah that's a good point there so there's not a ton of differences like if you if you someone who just started watching college process you can kind of tell who's a prospect and who's not it's like mm-hmm. it's it's very clear who is a prospect i would say like, okay yeah so there's not like that middle area where like if if they're, if they're, if they're a first round pick um, more than likely they're a prospect. It's just a matter of like where they fit between skill and like upside and stability. Like mm-hmm. if they're more on the upsides. If they're more on the upside, they have to be a high draft pick or be on a team with like like Indiana has like they rostered like five rookies last last year just like Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think I think it's interesting to think about as far as just the different philosophies, because like at the same time, it's like, yeah, it is more clear cut, but at the same time, like the penalty for missing feels so much greater where it's like, if you miss on one of those players and like, you know, like there's only 12 of them. Like it's, it's like whiffing in the lottery basically. Like if you don't kind of hit on your first round pick then. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's tough. Well, I, I'm really glad that you, that you came on here and you kind of, educated me and our audience about this because i think it's really fascinating and and like you said like there's just not a lot of wnba draft coverage and this is a league that's becoming more popular and it's growing so i just really wanted to have you come on here tell us about it and kind of pick yeah. your brain and, and learn more about it so thanks again hunter uh i'm gonna have you plug your stuff one more time before we head on out so i'm on twitter at hunter cruise 14 uh all my stuff's there but yeah so that's that's where you'll find a lot of my work and then like lots of wins basketball uh on YouTube, podcasting platforms, just a lot of stuff there weekly. Kind of like y'all are doing no ceilings, but like on the mm-hmm. WNBA scale where yeah, just that, yeah, that type of stuff. Awesome. Well, we'll keep a lookout for it. We're really glad you could join us, man. Like we're mm. here at no ceilings. Like you're, you're somebody that we really respect and like, we, we really love to, to check out your work. So that's what home and away is all about. We're trying to get some, some people from the outside that we really like and, and bring them on for a show here. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate all of our listeners for for tuning into this one. And uh, stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed. Uh, Also, rate and review on your podcast app of choice. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow with more content on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Have a great day.